Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Welcome to A Word with Tom Merritt. I'm Tom Merritt, and this is the show where I get to sit down with some of the smartest, most interesting people in the world to talk about how we think. Welcome to season two. Uh, This is our chance to compare notes because we can't all know everything about everything. So, So we get to compare how we think to each other, learn things about different parts of the world that we don't have experience with. These are the kinds of conversations that are my favorite. I grew up having this sort of thing with my grandpa Carl and his friends room with my grandma Roxy in her front room. I got lots of different ways of looking at the world, great conversations, and it was leading me to this moment right now. Welcome into the front room, Keenan Weirabek. Great to be here. And it's uh, your introduction reminds me how much I love this podcast. So I'm looking forward to this. So. <laughs> oh, yeah, I'm flattered. You even know the podcast. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, absolutely. So Keenan, Let's start with with just giving people a little background on on who you are. You're with a company called Zipline. Uh, tell us a little bit about what you what that company is and what you do there. Yeah, so Zipline is a uh, Zipline started as a medical logistics service with drones, uh, and now our mission has expanded to be about getting everybody what they need right when they need it. Uh, and this is no matter what it is, a universal access to what you need. And your job is to make sure those things stay in the sky, or, or how would you describe <laughs> yeah. it? Yeah, I, I have a fun job at Zipline. My, my job is kind of this intersection of product design and engineering. And I, I have two teams. One team uh, that I just is, we call it the new products team. And this is the team that gets to, it's a very small group of people, uh, incredibly diverse backgrounds and skill sets. Uh, and this is the team that goes off and takes problems that we just don't even know are solvable and figures out uh, an approach to tackle them. And uh, so this is about, that's half of my world here at Zipline. The other half of my world here at Zipline is uh, the autonomy software systems that fly these aircraft. So, our word for today very clearly would be drone, uh, since that's the, the business that Zipline is in. But I know you have your your roots in robotics, right? Yeah. So I, I've come back and forth in my career between a focus in robotics and a focus in product. Just, And I think it's, it's it was a really lucky background to set me up uh, as a founder here. Because uh, the challenge of, you know, lots of people work, make robotic tech that nobody ever appreciates or uses or values. And uh, that I, I think there's good reason for that. And I think there's that how you t- tackle that kind of complex technology and make products people actually want and actually you know, are practical in the real world to scale for is it's definitely more nuanced than I ever imagined when I started this career. Do you consider drones to be robots, like just flying robots? Sure thing. I mean, the, like, well, <laughs> so, so my favorite definition of a robot is a machine that doesn't work yet. Uh huh. So, so, so I don't like to think of these drones as robots because <laughs> they work. Because they should work. Uh, gotcha. Yeah. Exactly. Okay. By that definition, and, and I get that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it's, you know, they use a lot of robotic technology. And I think, 
you know, too often we kind of, you know, people who are obsessed with robots, they forget that if you want to make something that actually has a dent in the world in terms of a positive impact, you have to make a great product. And it really shouldn't matter um, what technology gets you there. And I find that like, if you can get that mindset sort of shifted away from thinking, hey, are you a robot company to, hey, what's, you know, what, who's your customer? What do they care about? Do you understand them deeply? And have you found a really great solution for their problem? The answer is yes to all those things. You're going to do really well. If your answer is, I have a great robot, <laughs> quite often it's not that useful. Yeah, I see what you're saying because I, I feel like people have a, a very wide definition of robot and they're usually thinking of experimental things, whereas a robotic vacuum cleaner, uh, by your definition, wouldn't be a robot anymore because it's it's something that you can buy and use and it cleans up your floor. Uh, and you sh- you shouldn't think of it as the generic. Am I, am I getting that right? The ge- robot is Absolutely. more of the generic? Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. I mean, my favorite robot at home is the dishwasher. Sure. Right. You don't think of it as a robot, yeah, but it's yeah, got yeah. a lot of robotic technology in there and it does a great job at cleaning my dishes. And I love how easy it is to use and all of those things. And, and you just don't think of it as a robot anymore. Cause yeah, that, no, that's, that's great. I love applying that to drones as well, because I think a lot of people think of drones as a crazy idea, right? Like, pff, things are going to fly stuff to me. Uh, and one of the reasons that I have, talked about zipline a lot on daily tech news show and even tech news today before that uh was because instead of you all just talking about what you were going to do someday you were doing it years ago you were doing it yeah and i think this this mindset was a big part of that right the the power of engaging uh, at the time we were engaging with three different uh, public health systems of three different countries really deeply and spending mm-hmm. time with them on the ground, understanding how their supply chains work, understanding exactly where uh, we'd be solving problems and how, what that meant for them to sort of practically integrate with their how their health system worked and how their logistics arm of their health system works so deeply. That connection, like the, our entire team, every engineer, every product-minded person, our sales folks, everybody at Zipline was deeply in that. Uh, and what it meant is that, you know, at, right, as a startup or in developing a new product, you have to make a million little new decisions that add up to hopefully something really good if they're the right decisions. And having those decisions be based in in what matters to the customer and, and our understanding of the customer rather than some sort of academic kind of level sort of yeah. discussion was so powerful. It sped us up. It focused us, right? We didn't do anything that didn't matter. We were really laser focused on what actually mattered. And that was obviously motivating. But the fact that it also was so focusing is so powerful when you're doing something, you know, for the first time. You know, for the longest time, uh, speaking of the word drone, I, I tried not to use the word drone because it has other meanings uh, that weren't appropriate to what we're talking about, not just with Zipline, but yeah. anybody doing these kind of unmanned aerial vehicle projects. They might be delivery, sure. might be something else. Do you feel like that? May, I, I feel like I've about given up on that battle, but do you think it is important uh, to make that distinction between the different kinds of drones? Do you have a preferred nomenclature or is it one of those things where drone now means a quadcopter or something like it? Yeah, I mean, it, just, it really depends. Part of the reason we refer to our drones as zips and we have from the beginning is that you know, we, we operate in countries around the world. And, and depending where you are, you know, how negative an association people have with drones can vary a lot, mm-hmm. right? And in a lot of places, drones are just strictly associated with things that militaries use for, for purposes that are not positive uh, for those communities at all. And, you know, and so it was really important to us to just, just use vocabulary that wasn't, you know, sort of associating with that. And I think there's, 
Uh, I think that makes a huge difference. And I think the other thing that matters for us is the drone just isn't important, right, mm-hmm. to our customer. They just, they don't care and they don't notice it, right? We spend a lot of time making it quiet and, and have the delivery experience have to be this sort of magical thing that happens super quickly. And we think part of what people love about our service is that they don't notice the drone. So it's just sort of, it kind of, it's, it's nice not to talk about it. Uh, and cause it's just not what our customers care about. So ideally, the delivery mechanism. This is I'm pulling this out of both our conversation about what a robot is or is not, and and, sure. and this right now. Uh, ideally, the delivery mechanism doesn't matter, right? It, the the drone should be quote unquote invisible. Exactly, and I think there's right there's things people care about. They they want it to deliver where they want, it, right when they want it. Ideally, you know, most cases what we do is really quickly. Um, those things matter a lot. Technically, they care a lot about delivering all weather and things like that. So we have to overcome those challenges. And those, those challenges do come back to the drone, as you can imagine. But they really, it's still not for them about the drone. It's just about the magical thing that they want solved. Uh, and the, do you solve it or not? And that's really yeah. the question. Well, and when I get people who are skeptical about drone delivery, uh, it's usually in the in the core in the sense of them thinking about the delivery process thinking about the flight and all the things yeah. that could go wrong i have a feeling you've probably spent a lot of time thinking about all the things that could go wrong am i right yes <laughs> <laughs> what what are I, let me start with the easy one what are the, some of the things that you hear people afraid of that you are like you can fairly clearly say no that that is over overdone that's not a problem we figured that out or it never was a problem hmm that's a good question. I, uh, there's not a, everybody has their own things that they're, that they worry about. And I think for us, uh, you know, w- w- when you think about rely, you know, reliability and safety, to be clear, those are sort of two sides of the same coin. When you talk about drones operating, it really comes down to two big areas of work, right? You need to think through everything that, that, that could, you know, have an issue on your drone. It could be a battery or a motor. You know, there's the list as long as you can imagine. And you need to make sure you have the right fault tolerance uh, for those things, right? So, uh, so one of those things that doesn't work has some redundancy. So you can mm-hmm. keep flying. And the other aspect is testing, 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 and testing. You have, there's the, we do a phenomenal amount of testing. And when I say testing, I'm talking about on the ground. You know, uh, we have these, you know, dozens and dozens of different to- basically torture chambers for our drones and drone parts to, to really flush out anything that might go wrong. Uh, and, and, of course, we do a ton of flight testing as well. And it at the end of the day, you know, if you're rigorous in these two areas, right, you're rigorous about how to think about any faults and how your, your redundancy works, and, and then you test and you test and you test some more, uh, you're able to get to a level of reliability and safety that just, you know, it's, it's, it's similar to what, you know, is achieved uh, with cars and, and, yeah, sure. and airplanes we're used to. Right. Uh, but you just have to be that rigorous. And I think a lot of people, when they picture a drone, they picture the thing that their, you know, their neighbor's kid is playing with in the backyard and like, well, like, you know, how tested and reliable is that? It's like, well, that's different. That's not what we're talking about here. It didn't need this to is, be. Uh, yeah. Is, it didn't right. need to be right. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and that's, of course, you know, that's in the design process. And, of course, there's a whole second half of Zipline, which is around operations, right? Our operations team is elite. And what elite means in this world is how they maintain and how they track and how they inspect and things like that. Our drones are complement uh, all that testing and intentionality and design to get something that's just very reliable. And our customers, uh, they get used to and they count on. I think this is one of the really – the, the the amazing thing about Zipline to me is how quickly it becomes boring uh-huh. right, for our customers. I mean, it's, it's not even measured in weeks. It's literally in a few days, you know, they're, it's just boring to them. And I think that it's boring because it's just, it, well, it works, right? You kind of count on it. It's unobtrusive, 
but it's also, you know, it's it, unlike how people imagine it, where it might they imagine things that might go wrong. It just works, right? And that's there's something that uh, as humans, you know, we can kind of we read things, right? We kind of just like we read people, we read things like, oh yeah, okay, that just works. I'm good with that. Right? Uh, and I think that's uh, I, I I would have never expected it to get boring that fast. I mean, I. Th- I think that is an interesting principle of technology in general, which is we only talk about it a lot until it is reliable. And, you know, how often have you talked about the call quality on your phone lately, right? Exactly. Yeah, exactly. But it used to be exactly. And there used to be entire ad campaigns competing on qual quality, right? Yeah, the, you could hear a pin drop. Yeah. Yeah. All this. Yeah. Can you hear me now? Can you hear me now? This yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So that that is a testament if your populace gets bored with it. But there are a lot of people who aren't experiencing it because we haven't got exactly. it as widespread as, as maybe you'd like, uh, or maybe all of us would like. What I was getting with that first question is I hear people objecting and not just, not to zipline in particular, but just to the idea, right. Sure. Uh, to say like, well, what happens if someone captures your drone and steals your burrito from it? Or, you know, what happens if, if some kids just, uh, take their BB guns out and, you know, shoot the drones down from the sky. Those are the kinds of things you can't really test for, as, as the social behavior part of it, you could, you could test for the scenarios as you imagine them, I guess. But how, how do you manage those? Or are those the kinds of things that you're like, yeah, it might happen, but it, it doesn't happen that often? Yeah. The, the idea that someone would shoot a drone down, one of our drones, I get, we ask that all the time. And this yeah, is yeah. a really common one. And, you know, we're about to close on 50 million autonomous miles flown in operations, and it hasn't happened. And, you know, I think it's one of those things where, like, you know, in theory, it could happen. But I think at the end of the day, too, when you do something that people value, you know, generally people are really good with that. Right? Mm-hmm. Like there's there's and 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 we do things people value and, and people are very, very supportive. And I think there's uh, there is that kind of disconnect between this assumption of like, you know, what could you do that would be, you know, nefarious or dangerous and. And, uh, you know, I, I remember I, when my kids started riding a bike, right? It was five. And I had, I did have to have a conversation about like, when you ride your bike, do not stick your fingers in this books, right? Like you just, you should not do that. Now, uh-huh. don't get me wrong. Like I worry that he might do that because he's kind of one of those curious kids in, uh-huh. in, a, in a way that's a little bit dangerous sometimes. But at the same time, I'm also very happy with him to ride his bike. And I never stuck my fingers in the spokes. So I think we'll be good. And I think it's just one of those things. It's like when you don't, you've never done it and like, People have an experience. They don't quite know how to think about it. And uh, yeah, it's, 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 uh, it's, it's our nature to be skeptical. And I get that. I, I'm, to be clear, I'm a skeptical person. I'm not an early adopter. I think it, it's both a strength and weakness of mine when it comes to product design. I, I like things that just freaking work. <laughs> so um, yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's part of my nature too, to kind of be like, oh, I don't know. I can think of all the ways that wouldn't work. And yeah, and, yeah, when yeah. I look at other people's products. And so um yeah, I understand where they're coming from. <laughs> well, and there's that social thing, and I've talked about it uh, on a solo episode of Word before. Uh, there's no reason people need to stop at stop- stoplights. By that kind of logic, uh, you you would never use a stoplight because anybody could run through it and hit you at any time. But we have a, a social norm that exactly. you know most people. In fact, when someone runs a stoplight, it's it's ridiculous. You know, people you're freaked out. You're you're surprised because it never happens. Absolutely, it happens so rarely. Yeah, yeah. What are some of the surprising challenges you've had in trying to to make flights work, make deliveries work, make the service work? Yeah, that's that's a good question. That's, there's there's been a lot along the way, and I think the you know there's some there's some super geeky examples from the early days of what how do you model the wind over you know mountains in a storm and stuff uh-huh. like that. So you design the right aircraft that 
that uh, we even worked with the folks at NASA back then to kind of leverage their expertise. And then after it wasn't working well, we went back to them and they're like, you know, now that we think about it, nobody flies low over mountains and storms. And so our data that we use to give the model to you is, is not a good model. And, oh, sure. and yeah. uh, oh, let's work together to actually understand this. So there's things like that. That, that have been a lot of fun to work through just on the kind of you're doing new things and pushing the frontier boundary and you're going to flush out some things that the world doesn't understand very well. Some of the crazier ones were just very counterintuitive, right? Like our, our platform one platform, it, it, it flies, it's a fixed wing drone. So it looks like a large RC plane basically. And uh, you know, it flies out to your delivery site and it floats a package down. So the package looks like a cake box and it has a paper parachute on top. And it needs, a, you know, a couple parking spots worth of space. And so when we started developing this, you know, we took some prototypes of concepts for dropping a package from a drone like this to a bunch of customers in Central America and Africa and like literally hucked them over the building just to kind of get a sense of, and, you know, early prototypes, no one liked. And eventually we figured out, okay, it had to land rel- slow enough. All of a sudden people didn't care anymore. But I was sure we launched this service for our first customer and they'd just be like, this is crazy. I don't want these boxes, these paper parachutes. This is annoying. Uh, I don't like this delivery experience. And I remember going to the first hospital we ever served uh, and talking to the, the medical director of the hospital. Like, all right, cool. How do we make the service better? Thinking he's going to focus on the, the delivery experience. <laughs> and all he wanted to talk about is like, could you go faster? Right. Uh-huh. And to be clear, we, you know, our delivery time for order to him rece- receiving that order was about seven and a half minutes. Could, and, and we replaced something that would take about you know, eight to 10 hours, depending. <laughs> and he was like, all he wanted to talk about was, could you go faster? And I think it's, it's one of those really counterintuitive things about oftentimes when you're working on these things, what we assume is going to be not that well received or going to be your biggest challenge or, or whatever the biggest risk can be. When you get to the real world, often people like what they really care about, what really matters to them, it's just completely different than you, than you imagined. Is there anything you've run into where you're still trying to figure out a way through? Is there a certain weather condition that you're just, you like, like any air, aircraft, you just, you just have to wait for it to pass? Yeah, no, this is a, here's a great example. So this was one where, uh, so a, a fraction, a pretty large fraction of our deliveries around the world are emergency orders in a healthcare setting. Mm-hmm. And so this is when you, you, you can literally have a patient on an operating room table and we're delivering blood, right? So we get, we get through. So, uh, we, we, uh, in the, for those deliveries versus a delivery that's, you know, basically less life critical, uh, we, we push the envelope hard in weather. And there's one type of weather condition that, that we can't handle robustly. And it's, it's called a microburst. It's, it's at the formation of a thunderhead. So the moment mm-hmm. a thunderhead forms, and you have this huge updraft uh, in the middle of the thunderhead and this big downdraft outside the thunderhead. And it only lasts a few minutes, maybe a mile across, depends on, on, the, on the microburst. The really extreme versions of those, if we get in those, our plane just can't handle it. And we end up deploying a parachute. And this was one that, that, uh, you know, it doesn't happen very often at all, right? We're talking, you know, one. So when you say, when you say yeah. deploy a parachute, you mean like whatever yeah. it was carrying just gets dropped at that point? Oh no, I, sh- I should mention. So our whole aircraft also has a parachute. Ah, okay, um, gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. So we 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 call that the Paraland system. It's it's a it's sort of the catch-all safety system. We have redundancy for things, but in a case like this, where the you know the redundancy doesn't help you with the extreme weather event that you can't handle, you can you still would float down to the ground uh, gotcha. uh, safely. Okay, and so yeah, thanks. Sorry. Yeah, so it has to deploy its parachute, and of course, th- then we, we we immediately send another drone behind it with the blood but uh, as you can imagine that that's quite you know this that's a delayed order and it's mm-hmm. quite operationally yeah, you know, yeah. someone to go out and retrieve that drone and stuff and so uh, this was a really fun technical journey of uh, we spent a bunch of time understanding these things and, and improving the drone uh, design to fly better through these uh, conditions but some of these conditions are crazy extreme and we're talking about 
vertical wind speed. So this is the wind going up and down, not sideways, but the wind going up and down easily more than 70 miles an hour. So as fast mm-hmm. as you're going on a freeway straight up or straight down, and, and the plane gets into that, as you can imagine, it goes straight up or straight down in a way that's, <laughs> that they can't handle. And so uh, what we ended up doing, we, we went to all these weather forecasting companies. We're like, somebody should be able to help us forecast this so we can fly around these yeah, things. Right. And, uh, and, and it turns out nobody else cares about these vertical winds, you know, near the ground over mountains. And so is it just because they up, go away so fast yeah. and they don't affect anything usually? Exactly. They go yeah. away so fast and it's not something most people can, you know, have a reason to, to know about. Right. right. Um, you know, if you're like driving on the road, like what are you going to do? You can't get around it. It's not nothing you're going to do about it. Um, and if you're, you know, if you're, uh, like a, a two seater plane, you're not flying these conditions at all. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, generally speaking. So and you're, if you're doing it, you're not near the ground in the microburst, you might be above it or, you know, mm-hmm. you might see it far away, that kind of thing. So, yeah. So we, so this was a fun, this was a fun journey. We, uh, we ended up, um, uh, found this amazing, uh, basically weather forecasting guru who, if you're familiar with weather underground, he was the lead there oh, yeah. uh, for most of weather underground's journey and, uh, came to Zipline and took our, drone data so if you think about our drones it turns out are like really good weather stations uh so we took our historical data from all of our flights uh and built an ai model that uses that and real-time weather satellite imagery uh to we call it near casting to forecast right ahead of you on the route right ahead of our drone on the route uh if one of these might be there uh so we don't fly into it and that's dramatically reduced how often we fly into these microbursts uh, when we're doing these emergency deliveries. That's a great example of, of narrowed training of saying like, look, we, we know what it looked like afterwards. <laughs> let's, <laughs> let's try, let the machine model uh, try to figure out uh, what it would look like yeah. beforehand. Right. That's great. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, I, I feel like we should tell folks listening uh, the various regions you've been in. I know you're in the United States now, but like, what are all the the places that Zipline has operated? Because am I right? Is R- Rwanda the first place, or was that just the first commercial place? Or, or, or do you yeah. tell me? Well, so the first place for testing was here in California, and okay. that's, that's where all the development sure, was sure. done. Our first actual operation was in Rwanda. Uh, and now we serve, uh, about 95% of the, of the area of Rwanda, uh, almost the whole entire country. Um, and then we've expanded to Ghana, uh, Cote d'Ivoire, Nigeria, uh, Kenya. Uh, uh, we also have, uh, we have operation in Japan, uh, and then a few operations here in the United States. And mostly it has been medical in, in most of those, as I understand it, uh, blood supplies and things like that. Is that right? Yeah, in most countries, uh, our sort of anchor contract to, to get started has been medical. But in most countries we've operated in where we've scaled now up to those contracts, we now have excess capacity. And we're delivering everything from uh, agricultural products like uh, bull semen. Uh, it's one of, my, one of those really fun examples of how on-demand delivery can be transformational. Um, That's so uh, weird because I just watched an yeah. old Miami Vice that bull <laughs> semen was like the thing they were trying to steal. Or, and it's such an odd coincidence, but carry on. <laughs> oh, totally. The genetic diversity of your cows uh, can do things like increase milk production by 10 X, yeah. you know, per cow, which is like, it's not, people always say, do you mean 10%? I'm like, no, no, I mean, I mean 10 times more milk production. Um, and there's all kinds of, you know, and of course, milk is a major source of, source of protein around the world. And, sure. um, and yeah, and we've done, uh, you know, in the U S we've done, uh, e-commerce, uh, stuff and, uh, as well as in Africa. And so now that we're basically, once we sort of satisfy our, anchor, once we've really scaled into our anchor, co- uh, contract 
with these health systems, we then start layering in other things that can be transformational. And here in the U.S., for example, like working uh, uh, soon with Sweetgreen, today with Walmart, uh, and, and soon with GNC uh, as other examples. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. One of the things that has been frustrating to me to explain to people over the years uh, is that you will see a company talk about drone technology and drone delivery and I've tried to remind people that there are companies doing it, not just Zipline, but Zipline was the first one that I was ever aware of. And you've been doing it for a long time. It has been largely rural. What does it take for Zipline-like services to be more commonplace in urban locations? Because I feel like that's where people get hung up. They're like, sure, I guess they're doing it, but I don't see it in my neighborhood. Yeah, a oh, great question. You know, I, I think it comes down to two challenges. One challenge is the delivery experience. Can you deliver precisely enough that, you know, picture you're, you know, on a row house, you know, in Boston. Can you, can you actually hit that back porch? I noticed I said back porch. We can talk about that later, but okay. can we deliver to that back porch, right? Not easy. Uh, and then are you quiet enough that, that, that this is actually acceptable, right? That this can't sound like a swarm of bees. I just, <laughs> I can't say that often enough. It just, it's, uh, uh, and I, I, I describe that as a neighbor problem, right? We all hopefully have great relationships with our neighbors and like nobody wants to put up with your neighbor getting a swarm of bees all <laughs> on a regular basis, right? As they're getting deliveries from a drone. And, and so you gotta, you have to solve the, you have to solve that, that delivery experience problem. But then you also have to solve a really interesting airspace integration problem. How do you fly, you know, safely and responsibly with all the other air traffic? And, and, and re- really this, you know, the, the, we call platform two at Zipline, which is this new platform, uh, we're working on at Zipline. Uh, this was the answer to this question. Our customers have been asking it for years. Can you deliver to homes? Can you deliver to in, 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 in urban metro areas? And our answer was, well, no, because our platform one, like I mentioned, the, this long range platform, it needs a couple parking spots to deliver it. And most homes don't have that. So why the back porch? Yeah, this is, I mean, this, this is, it's, it's security is a big thing for deliveries, right? You know, we obviously started in the healthcare space where, yeah, you just don't want, you know, prescriptions and whatnot in right. someone's mailbox or even on their front stoop. And you don't always want to have to be home and uh, not, so the security and the privacy of the back porch is really powerful. It's one of the, it's, it's one of the many reasons drone delivery is transformational, assuming you solve the noise. Right. Because you're mo- uh, most of delivery people are not going to walk around to your back porch or can't because you've got locked fences. Exactly. Or right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Exactly. And so being able to walk out there in your, in your slippers, and get what you get what you want in the privacy of your backyard and not need to be home and stuff like that it's sort of the the ultimate solution to the porch pirate problem and and uh yeah it's it, that's really powerful uh for for all kinds of deliveries do you think it's difficult enough to operate drone delivery that porch pirates would not be able to create their own drones with grappling hooks to come and try to steal your packages <laughs> i think it'd be extraordinarily challenging to yeah, do that. Yeah. And, and uh yeah and i you know I'm just imagining the kind of questions I can see in my chat room as as this this goes by. Um, What about folks who don't have a back porch? What about about folks in apartment complexes or smaller buildings or or things like that? Uh, Is is it just, well, we'll deliver to the front porch or we'll deliver to a doorway? How does that work? 
Yeah. So the common area is how I think about it, right? So depending where you are in the world, it, you know, this is can be a courtyard. It can be mm-hmm. a, a lot of places have a nice spot up on the roof where you know where you can hang out and have a barbecue, and there's a patio we can deliver to. Uh, and so it's all about common areas. And one of the things that's nice about what what drone delivery versus other types of delivery is we're on time. So if we you know if you pick a window that's you know a minute or two to deliver, and we'll hit that window, so you don't have to be like waiting there, and you can just wander. You know, you when you, when your app says it's coming, it's actually coming then, and and you can step out. To, the, to that common area and grab, you grab your order. Let's talk a little bit about Platform 2 specifically. Um, yeah. How does that work? Walk me through, you know, loading the burrito or whatever on uh, till the person gets it uh, from their courtyard. Sure. So first of all, you have to kind of describe it because it's definitely not at least what we assumed we'd be building when we started this design process. And I don't think what anybody assumes you, you would solve this until you get into it. But uh, it's a two-part system. Okay, so the, there's the, the, the zip up high, that's the drone. Uh, and then there's this thing we call the droid, this lowered down from the zip, uh, but the line. And the droid is is active, right? It has its own uh, its own fan, so it can fly itself, and its own sensor, so it can find the delivery spot. Is it a quadcopter, yeah. or, or or is it something else? Yeah, it's it, it's tricky to describe. So I just I, I picture it as like kind of a toaster, <laughs> like okay. an old fashioned toaster aesthetically, a very cute toaster with a little fan on the back. Okay. Um, so kind of like a cross between a toaster and like maybe a miniature fan boat, if, if I'm trying to bring this to life. And it's tethered um, then? It's tethered, exactly. Gotcha. So okay. the tether handles the literally the heavy lifting, sure, the weight sure. of the delivery. Uh, and then the fans on the droid handle the basically the uh, any kind of gust that might hit it and things like that. So it can stay precise delivering that really tight spot you have on your porch or wherever we're delivering to. Um and so, so okay. So when it comes in, let's. Start, I'm going to go backwards uh, mm-hmm. through the story here. So when it's delivering, uh, the, you know, the zip will fly out and hover uh, over the delivery site, and then the the droid will lower down on that line, mm-hmm. uh, and the zip is way up high, like you know, as high up as as like a, a football field is long. So it's way up there. So uh, I imagine the that droid- helps with the noise then, because it's farther oh. away. Oh, absolutely! It helps with the noise. It helps with general, like kind of the. We think of it as the UX of the experience. Mm-hmm. Like how does it feel? Like the, the, the drone that's capable of heavy lifting, it just it doesn't feel like it's in your yard at all. It feels like it's way up in the sky. Um, and uh, it feels great. And helps with the noise, helps with the overall safety challenges of, of the layered safety systems. Uh, helps with lots of pieces of the design challenge. And, uh, yeah, and so that droid lowers down. Uh, it takes about 10 seconds or so. And, it, and it's got its fan, so it's flying as, as, and to get right precisely to the delivery site. Drops the package and then, zoop, retracts back up and then it flies on back. And so the way that when it gets loaded, so it flies into this dock, um, the droid then lowers down. So it's in the dock is where it gets charging and, and things like that. And then it lowers the droid down from the zip again uh, uh, to an operator who then just you know, opens the lid, puts in the next order and, and sends it on its way. And, and that's how it works. Now, how does it know where to go? How does it navigate? Is What kind of sensors or, or things is it using? Yeah, no, great question. And it's a, it's a really interesting question because you want to, uh, you know, the, the, the delivery precision uh, that this platform enables is more precise than than like your cell phone GPS, right? We've all you tried to call an Uber or whatnot. And like, you, you know, you put the pin down on your side of the road and the, the Uber goes the other side <laughs> of the road. And like, it's, it's not that yeah, precise. Yeah. And so somehow you have to overcome all of that. And, and you can kind of think of it as like, we can kind of we combine all the information uh, out there. So property uh, boundaries, we know where those property boundaries are. Uh, we, what you want, if you want a delivery on your back porch or your front porch or your back on the lawn, whatever that might be. 
And, uh, and then, of course, we use all manner of sensors, visual sensors, inertial measurement sensors like what's in your phone, uh, as along, along with GNSS or you know, GPS receivers. And I notice I have plural after all of those because there's redundancy in all of this. Uh, and it basically combines all that information into this hyper-accurate uh, understanding of the world so that it can get you that delivery right where you want it. Is it using LiDAR sensors too, just visual sensors, combination? It doesn't use LiDAR. It doesn't use LiDAR. We, we found that, that, that visual sensors are just far more robust. Mm-hmm. Light, LiDAR sensors, uh, not only are they heavy, um, but they, they're just not as robust. And they, 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 you know, the, if you think about the technical challenge of, of coming in delivering, we think of one of the hardest things is, is avoiding uh, power lines. Uh, mm-hmm. And visual sensors are very good there. Uh, LiDAR, not so good. And so whenever you're kind of picking your sensors, you always pick the sensor that will most robustly solve the hardest part of the problem. Is it yeah. using, is it mapping? Is it u- re- using previous routes at all? Or is it always just looking where it is every time it goes? It does both. Okay. It does both. Uh, so this is something that we've already built and deployed with our platform one system. And, and the, 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 when we talk about redundancy to make, the, it's not just about the drone. Again, it's the drone is not the most of our engineering is not the drone. It's sort of the joke at zipline. It's it, a lot of engineering goes in the drone, but it's the minority of what we do. Mm-hmm. And we, so we have redundancy at the drone level, right? Propellers and things like that if, uh, are redundant, uh, but also at things like what you're getting at here. And so while in theory, one method versus, uh, would work by itself using both methods gives you sort of a belt suspender. So you're that much more robust in the real world. And of course, the, you know, that varies around the world on the airspace integration challenge. Um, but the way you can basically think about it is at the time when you, uh, when, when the person loading the package into the, into the zip, uh, does that, they scan a barcode on the package and on the zip. And that, of course, tells the zip, all right, now I know where I'm going, right? So we always send it to the right place. Important detail in a delivery service. Yes. And, uh, yeah. Uh, and then, uh, and then we have the, the, basically you can think of the zip as flying this, it's a, it's a pre-planned route. Um, and you can kind of think of that conceptually like a highway, right? So, you know, we pre-planned this net, this sort of virtual highway system in the sky that then online the aircraft used to fly along. And of course, online the aircraft, you know, based on information that the aircraft get, like, uh, for example, if uh, over a radio transponder, another plane is nearby, uh, the planes will, uh, you know, basically deviate from that path, stay clear of that plane, then go back along their way. And so it's very similar to kind of how like a, we drive on a freeway, right? Like you, you have a basic route. So you don't have to like think in your head, like you're spelunking through the wilderness, you're charting your own road. That's some that's been optimized offline. And then online, uh, you make minor deviations uh, as you encounter uh, things. It, does it have a does it have connectivity to the network when it's doing this or or is it all hap- mostly happening on device it's mostly happening on device and we think of the connectivity as adding layers uh-huh. of for, you know basically oversight so you know our operators are not you know they're not stick flying these things they have mm-hmm. they have basically have three buttons <laughs> uh, and you basically come home hold your position uh, and then if the regulator asked us to we could deploy that aircraft parachute. Um, mm-hmm. And so those are the three buttons. And that, so the operators are just overseeing at a very high level. So they can, they can move aircraft out of, out of areas using those three buttons. Uh, but all the real time stuff happens on board the aircraft. Uh, and that's, that's for a very practical reason. This is, you know, when we were first starting Zipline, we talked to everybody who operated drones at scale and the, the, the military, U.S. military was one of the biggest operators back then. And they were like, look, most of the drones we have problems with or lose, it's because we lose communications. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so if you design your system to, to, you know, basically at its core, not require communications, but leverage communications when you have it, as opposed to the other way around where you must have communications to fly safely, <laughs> you'll have a much more robust system. And that, yeah, that's, yeah. that's how it's built. Does that yeah. include the weather too? Like, is it sensing its own weather or is it also a combination? 
A little bit of both. So we have we have some like there's some weather stuff that happens just based on the vehicle sort of estimating what the wind it's in. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then that forecasting I mentioned that is done in the cloud and, and sent down. Um, but then I but in, and the way to think about that from a sort of a robustness perspective is time constants, right? So our zips might lose communications for seconds, maybe minutes. Uh, but we do that forecast 10, 15 minutes ahead and keep sending it down. So it's very unlikely that you would be encountering that weather condition and have outage that long leading up to it. So mm-hmm. that way you still will get it through. The zip, will, the drone will still get it early enough to handle it. Is there anywhere that you think this will not work? Because uh, it, it it sounds like you've got good plans uh, for for urban locations. Uh, you're obviously doing it in mountainous regions in in Rwanda and elsewhere. Is there something where you're 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 like there's just going to be a, a different way of approaching that that the that the drone system yeah. doesn't work? That's a good question. You know, by the way, I should mention where we operate most of the world, like our, almost all of our first delivery sites are hospitals and those by definition are in cities. And, and so we have a lot of experience with delivery in cities. Uh, you know, these cities typically are on the order of a million people, maybe five million. So they're on smaller cities uh, by sort of big city standards. Sure, sure. But it's given us a lot of a technical experience with yeah. what does that take? Exactly. Yeah. Now, in platform two is really focused on kind of filling the gap from what platform one can, can do. Long range, we need two parking spots all the way up to what we think of as the urban core, right? So like the very downtown Manhattan, we're not focused there. Uh, but everything else, we want to we want to handle uh, well everything off Manhattan just fine, and maybe a lot of Manhattan Island too, um, uh, in terms of what we can service. And so, and, and that's the vast majority of, of the challenge, right? And I think there's mm-hmm. there's you know I, I think when you when you think when I think about that the actual you know city core. Uh, part of the reason we have folks to focus on it is it's not where the big problem is today. It turns out if there's one place where basically a sidewalk robot or just a person walking down the street can make a delivery uh, really predictably and on time, it's when you have to walk two blocks from you know from your your pharmacy to your to your high rise. Uh, but it's and it's everywhere else that yeah, actually yeah. has this challenge of of deliveries not being on time, deliveries being really unpredictable from a cost perspective, uh, and people really valuing this, the on-demand delivery we provide. So yeah, that's where we focused. What about range? How how long do you think drone deliveries could get? Uh, you know, could, could something uh, just go from Los Angeles to Honolulu at some point? Sure, sure. I think, you know, fundamentally, you're talking about how, you know, aircraft design and right, like, yeah, aircrafts fly very far if you design them that way. I think a lot of it comes down to you, you have to design the aircraft for purpose, right? I think this is a, the classic, you know, in, 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 air, in, in designing aircraft, and there's lots of stories of this in the military, you try to design something for too many use cases, it's good for nothing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, uh, uh, and so for us, you know, a big part of that design journey is really deeply understanding what our customers actually need what range is is actually solves their problem what payload mass solves their problem what payload volume solves their problem what price points actually work uh, to in order to affect all the use cases they care about uh, for for on-demand delivery and so we spent a lot of time going deep on that and so if you even just compare platform one and platform two for us so platform one's this long-range platform serves a radius of about 50 miles uh, and that's that's robustly so wind wind over mountain ranges 50 mile radius you know platform two is 10 miles uh, and th- those are actually the perfect sort of balances of all the things I just mentioned range cost and payload for those different use cases and so yeah there's you know you, there's there's uh, there's plenty of opportunity to design a drone for other use cases that might fly farther uh, but it's not what our customers are demanding I have a ridiculous question that I'm yeah. pretty certain is born out of my ignorance of this whole thing. So feel free to to kindly tell me that that this is silly. Uh, what what about delivering off of boats? 
like drones on the boats instead of having to unload the boat, having the drones just fly the things off the boat. Not whole, not even thinking whole cargo containers, but but individual items. Sure, sure. I mean, I love the idea in principle, and I think there's, I'm sure there's, there's uh, actually, I've, I've, we've met some folks in island areas and things like that where this could be a real game changer. I think when you think about it at a very macro level, the reason it just doesn't, the reason I've never really seen it as like, you know, market demand, if you will, for, for development is, you know, what, what's typically on boats is the huge containers of stuff, yeah. right? And someone's got to break that down and unpack that and get that to the point where it's actually ready to send it to somebody. And doing that on the boat seems pretty hard to do. <laughs> uh, and so, uh, yeah, I think that's probably the, the fundamental thing there. But, you know, I will mention, like, where we operate in, in Japan in the Goto Islands, you know, that is going from one island to a whole bunch of islands. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, and it is it is solving part of, I think, what you're getting at here when you – a lot of places in the world are, you know, these island chains and, and logistics is incredibly expensive, uh, of, of, you know, delivery of any kind. Oh, yeah. And so being able to deliver on demand in those spaces is transformational. What are you uh, as we sort of wrap this up? And I'm, I'm headed towards our our this or that segment uh, pr- pretty shortly. But but what are you most excited about uh, next in the technology of this? The, we've made some breakthroughs in how to integrate with the airspace um, mm-hmm. that are just basically this. It's the holy grail here. The, the a lot of what's holding back uh, this kind of service is a scalable way to integrate in the airspace. And this that's just a sort of geek talk for, you know, safely fly around other Not planes. running into other stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. Exactly. And so this is just really exciting. Um, yeah, the the you can kind of think of it like, so in the U.S., for example, about two-thirds of the aircraft you encounter, uh, they have transponders, right? They have mm-hmm. a radio on them that's tr- transmitting where they are, and, and, and you listen to that, and you can avoid them, and it's, it's very easy. But the other third does not. Uh, and sort of the status quo today is a pilot looking out the window, looking for those other planes and, and trying to avoid them. And, and to be clear, this is not like an autonomous driving challenge where it's okay to get really close to something and just not mm-hmm. hit it. N- pilots don't want that. Regulars don't want that. We don't want that. You don't want drones coming like right over the windshield of somebody's <laughs> airplane, right? This thing sounds yeah, obvious yeah. when you say it, right? Sure. And so really the challenge is how do you maintain massive separation to these aircraft, uh, uh, with sensors? And so, um, uh, the breakthrough we made is how you can use a microphone array on the aircraft uh, to listen for where other aircraft are and maintain that separation. And, uh, and this has just gone through a really critical FAA approval step, and, and we're now starting the, the, the scale-out process of this technology, which we're just really excited about. Is that a machine learning sort of situation as well, where it, it can distinguish, or, or how does that work? Yeah, it, it definitely involves machine learning. It's 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 an incredibly complicated software mm-hmm. uh, challenge because you can imagine, right? Like how noisy it is if you took a microphone and fly it, you know, through the air at seventy miles an hour. Yeah. It's really loud. And then, of course, you have your own propeller right there, and you're trying to hear aircraft, you know, half a mile away. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and so, how the 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 challenge of getting the the signal to noise where you need it to, so you can actually hear those aircraft. There's a lot of interesting cha- uh, sort of algorithmic approaches that combine to get you there. Uh, and then there's a lot of, you know, uh, anyway, in that stack, there, there's a machine learning layer to it uh, that's been instrumental uh, to that problem. But it's definitely only a piece of the puzzle. Well, Keenan, uh, this has been fantastic. Thank you for for taking so much time to to talk to me and and explain about this. I know we didn't we didn't talk about the higher concept of, of drone as much, but the, I was too fascinated in how this works. So I really appreciate it. Absolutely, this was a blast. Yeah. Uh, are you ready to play the word game? <laughs> 
I'm ready to play the word game. Uh, I, I don't know how appropriate all of these are. Uh, I'm just going to throw them at you, and it's called this or that. You just pick one or the other of the two options I give uh, and tell me why. Are you ready? I'll try not to break the rules too often. Take yeah. it for it. I'm going to go sci-fi off the top, even though we didn't actually end up talking about sci-fi at all. Um, Isaac Asimov or Martha Wells? Oh, Asimov. So- yeah. As okay. Well. So three laws, robots versus murder bot, which I totally get. <laughs> yeah. Uh, are you an Asimov fan or, or do you have a, uh, another sci-fi author or that you're into? Good question. I, I'd say Asimov's toward the top of the list. I think there's something about that short format that I just mm-hmm. really enjoy. Um, you know, when you get into these really complex worlds, I, I often struggle with like, sort of my technical like brain trying to fight the, uh-huh. the imagination of the author and i can't get i can't what, what's the expression i um yeah the suspension of disbelief, disbelief. Yeah, yeah, yeah i struggle yeah, with yeah. that so yeah all right um android or ios oh ios but you know android's great too i think it's just a matter of like what what have you what, where do you have the most apps yeah <laughs> so. where what do you what are you using what are what are the things uh fast or slow zombies Faster, slow zombies. I have no idea. <laughs> Which would you rather have around? Um, neither. It's <laughs> <laughs> a perfectly acceptable answer. Uh, savory or dessert crepes? Oh, savory all the way. Mm-hmm. You know, savory th- all the way. This is hilarious to me because I, and I mentioned this before on the show, I'm going to repeat myself, but I really thought everybody would go dessert with crepes, but everybody likes savory crepes. No, I think there's, I, for me, it's like, savory is a good savory food is so much more interesting to me than sweet food yeah um sweet food's like okay i had a nice bite but i'm done but interestingly savory food it's like oh like i'd skip dessert for that any day if i'm excited about it so yeah yeah if you can't use the word drone quadcopter or uav <laughs> oh i don't know uh quadcopter because acronyms are evil <laughs> <laughs> they really are uh dogs or cats oh dogs all, all day long yeah do you have a dog Oh, I, I used to have a dog, Jupiter. The uh, Anyway, a formative uh, friend. Yeah, yeah. No, I hear you. Uh, R2-D2 or RoboCop? Oh, R2-D2. <laughs> Hands down. Yeah. Uh, I was about to say RoboCop would be better in a fight, but maybe not. R2 is pretty good in a fight, to be honest. Yeah, yeah. The, the brains over brawn is mm-hmm, like, you mm-hmm. know, surprisingly effective in the future. Uh, and then the final <laughs> one, hot or cold? Oh, Hot or cold? Hmm. Hot. 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 Yeah. Yeah. You you prefer the hot versus being chilly? I, I, I you know, I'm, I, I married this amazing woman from uh, Costa Rica. And so we get to go to see her family, you know, pretty much every chance we get because we never get to see them often enough. And I've, I didn't start loving it, but I love it now. It's, there's something about it. it. It's, okay. Yeah. I've learned to love it. Having had family in Minnesota, those winter Christmases <laughs> in Minnesota versus, yeah, it's, it's just, I love that. Yeah, getting, yeah, sweaty is, uh, I've come to terms with sweaty. So. I, I'm with you because I, I, I was walking across the quad at the University of Illinois one winter, which is, you know, it's not, not Minnesota, but it's not warm. Uh, and I, I swore I would live somewhere warm. So I, I totally get that. Uh, well, Keaton, thank you so much. Uh, if folks want to find out more about you, Zipline, anything else we've talked about, where should they go? Flyzipline.com. Excellent. Uh, thank you very much, my friend. Yeah, this was an absolute pleasure. I, I, I couldn't have enjoyed it more. 
And thanks to our producers, Roger Chang and Anthony Lemos. Thank you for listening to the show and telling your friends about it. You can get an ad-free version of this show with ACAST+. Plus. Click on Access Exclusive Content at awordpodcast.com. We'll have a word with you next time. Thank you.